You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunnyside Up. I'm your host, Shubhank, and today I'm super excited to talk to Jiun Chang on the art of succeeding events, constant pushback. Jiun is the co-founder and the CEO at Wonderbees. Prior to this, she was a senior director at strategy and growth at Cohesity, an IT infrastructure software company based in the Silicon Valley, and she has taken various senior strategic roles and driving growth and emerging businesses at Walmart e-commerce and Bain & Company. She founded Wonderbees recently after struggling to find the right online math program for her son. Wonderbees' main mission is to create the world's best learning experience by making classes fun, engaging, and challenging for each student's needs. Jun, I'm super excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome, Jun. I've spent a good amount of time talking to you on the previous calls and understanding about what 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 are your experiences. So you've told a lot about okay how your journey started from South Korea and uh, you ended up in the Silicon Valley as an entrepreneur right now with a lot of other prior experiences in the leadership roles. First thing I would like to ask is how has your journey been and could you share some experience around the whole journey? Sure, absolutely. So my journey actually started with my mom when I was in college. I was uh, almost uh, close to finish up the college and ready for the graduation. And then what happened was at the time she just kind of came from the annual checkup, and the her doctor kind of said that she has a tumor. They found out that she has a tumor, and then she kind of had to go through the major surgery. You know, worst case, you know, something that we don't want to expect happen as well. So there was a complete out of the blue. And, you know, I was just kind of normal college student who didn't know what to do and still kind of tried to explore and figure things out about my life. And at the time, that was a total shock. And then my mom went through the surgery and then something didn't go well during the surgery. And then she was in coma for 48 hours. And that really kind of struck me in a way that the first time I observed that. Mm-hmm. Like what it really means indirectly. And really the lesson for me was that, you know, it could happen to me anytime, any moment. So I really need to live my life. I should be the one who owns it and dictates it. And, you know, it's not whoever kind of, you know, tells me what to do. But I really need to think of how I want to live my life. So from there, I kind of thought a lot about what I want to do and all that. And then the conclusion I had was that I really wanted to explore explore the world and really understand you know different aspects of the life and the different parts of the world and all of it. So from there, I grew up in South Korea. I went to college there, and you know I never left the country until then. But you know after the graduation, I worked for about less than a year and then saved some money. And I moved to China for six months just to experience the culture. And I also wanted to learn the language. And then I moved to the U.S. after that and studied policy in a graduate school. And then I joined Bain & Company after that and then moved to South Africa as a management consultant. I worked there and then lived there for two years. And all these kind of changes have been, uh, you know, quite challenging, uh, to be honest with you, especially as a South Korean woman 
being in Africa was not easy. And also the main reason was because I was a complete kind of foreign to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And also kind of culture, context, and all that was very different. So a lot of times I kind of had to figure out how to build connections with uh, people without having that kind of common ground. So things like that, especially as kind of a young you know, woman, it was a lot to kind of deal with, especially your daily life. Every day you run into it and then you kind of need to just figure that out. So that was really kind of my experience there. And then when I made the decision to move to South Africa, a lot of people kind of uh, told me that I shouldn't do it. <laughs> and then this kind of uh, came from quite like a typical career perspective, right? So what be the value you're going to get out of it? You know, what's going to be your next step after that? Are you going to stay there for good? You'll be very far from your families and friends. How are you going to get promoted? You know, what's going to be your long-term path there? So people kind of tried to give me a device based on all this kind of perspective they have. And a lot of times it was about like, don't take the risk. It's not going to give you any kind of a value. I think when I look at my journey, a lot of times it was kind of input and advice I get from others. And then I kind of had to push back or kind of prove that maybe they're wrong or there could be a different outcome than what they kind of thought and then kind of told me. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of my experience in, in South Africa. And then it was really fascinating. I worked for a gold mine clients and in a lot of uh, miners that I work with, they never left that small town. Their entire life and culture and everything was formed by the mining business. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at the beginning, they didn't know like how to interact with me and how to kind of treat me. And a lot of time people kind of ask me like, are you from North Korea or South Korea? They didn't even know like how to locate the country. But I think by kind of going through all that, I learned how to kind of build the empathy and the mm-hmm. connections and then what the communications and kind of sharing the mindset really means when you kind of need to do that with a, someone who is very different than you. So I think that experience really kind of helped me develop that like soft skills. I think oftentimes these days we talk about how critical those elements are as a, as a leader. And to me, kind of being isolated in, in South Africa. And that really kind of helped me build that kind of perspectives. You are a fighter, Jun. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've yeah. faced everything from the family. I mean, probably the Americans might not understand this, but coming from the APAC or let's say all these right, regions, right. we know how emotional it is to kind of leave or I mean, stay away from the family or just trying to make a decision to come, come out and explore the whole world as in the opportunities that you have abroad. So I think this is really interesting. So I think we, I'm pretty sure that there are two ways that our audiences are going to love the content or love what you're saying, mm-hmm. because there are two ways that they can inspire. One is for them to kind of understand how can they evaluate their path and what, what does it take to get the right courage or the right ability to make the decisions and come out of this, I'd say, uh, the shell to kind of explore the opportunities. And this is for everyone, everyone, irrespective of gender, uh, community and all these aspects. But coming to the gender part, yes, you're a fighter there too. You said you kind of had to leave the family at, at a crucial point of time and being being a woman in the family and then coming to South Africa, I mean, working in South Africa, that was a different ballgame altogether. So right now you are an entrepreneur and there's so many other women like you who kind of succeeded 
in kind of coming out of the shell. So I think this is going to be very inspiring and interesting. So I think we can get to the next part of the question or I'd say to explore what are your other challenges. So Jian, like I was, I was constantly thinking about, okay, how the journey has been and you've given us a good introduction into that. So I want to understand like the challenges that you faced in various organizations, maybe due to the geography, the culture, gender, etc. And how did you deal with them to succeed in your career? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things uh, I can kind of share. So number one is uh, I think building your own perspective is really crucial. So like I said, you know, throughout my career, I always get pushed back on whenever I need to make some decisions. There, there are people or majority of people come up tell me that I shouldn't do that. And then the, the main reason why I was able to kind of push back and then kind of tell them that I'm going to do it and here's a why. And this is kind of a, the goal that I'm going for was that I was able to kind of internalize it. And then put it in a perspective of, uh, you know, these are kind of things that I hear from others based on their experience. And that this is what I'm going to do based on my own self. So I think it kind of being able to dissect information and then put that together with your thoughts. I think it's, a, it's really important to overcome those challenges. So one example I can give you was uh, when I was at Kuwaiti, I had a feedback session. Mm-hmm. And then it was with one of the executive members. I can't name who that person mm-hmm. is, but the feedback I got was that I'm smart, but I don't have enough confidence. I don't come across as a confident. So the first time I heard that, I was a shock. And obviously it's not, you don't feel good when you hear that kind of feedback, right? Because that's not who you want to be. But then after that, when I had some reflection, and thought about it by myself, I kind of realized that he had his own perspective as a male and someone who has kind of different cultural background. And that was probably his assessment. But then when I look at myself as a female and East Asian, I think probably how I see myself could be very different. So once you kind of form that kind of perspective and the where the difference comes from, then I think it really helps you see things in very like objective way. So to me, when I kind of run into some challenges, then the first thing I try to do is to form that. Like what's my own perspective and how should I digest it? So don't try to like take it as an input, like literally, but you know, take it with a grain of salt and then what could be the, the conclusion or the, you know, the message to myself. So I always try to think that part and that really kind of helped me I think uh, stay kind of calm you know the patient no matter what kind of happens to me or what kind of challenges I run into. Awesome and I was just thinking probably during the initial days like when you once you moved from South Korea mm-hmm. there would have been a lot of different cultural differences or in terms of okay how, how people understand or perceive in each and every aspect of life so what was the initial challenge that you faced Jun? because You've had a wonderful experience in the, in, in the last probably couple of years. So I want to understand from your perspective as to what are the challenges that you faced and how you were able to overcome. Because you mentioned, okay, with respect to a lot of experience that I've had earlier. So, but this is in the initial stages, probably. It's going to inspire a lot more other people who are listening to our show to kind of make that decision to kind of come out of the shell, as I mentioned earlier. So could you, could you tell us about that initial experience that you faced while you moved to the U.S.? 
Yeah, absolutely. So after South Africa, I moved to the U.S. and then I joined the organization called uh, the World Economy Forum. Mm -hmm. And then they had an office in the New York City. So I moved to the New York City from Johannesburg at the time. And I think uh, to me, the main challenge was, again, I think the cultural challenge was really the main thing. I think, uh, you know, like I said, especially coming out of the kind of Asia and then kind of based on how I grew up and how I was educated there, you kind of require some adjustment. And then I think really the main thing was uh, getting out of the comfort zone. I think at the, and, and then that whole process, I will say unlearning and relearning what I was supposed to do. So mm-hmm. if I can give you some examples, in Korea, if you're a student or if you're kind of, a, you know, someone who's kind of a younger and junior, then I think there are kind of certain ways you treat others who are kind of older or senior and, you know, the teachers and we're supposed to get more respect than you, then there are certain ways that you need to kind of treat them. Because otherwise uh, people will say like you're rude or you're not uh, (laughs) respectful. And so there are kind of certain ways that people expect you to behave based on your age and gender and uh, social status and, and things like that. And then to me, that was really the main thing where I kind of had to like break my perception or the bias that I had, or it was shaped by that culture, my original kind of culture, and had to kind of tell myself every day, especially like when I'm in a meeting or something like that, then it's okay to push back. It's okay to argue. It's okay to speak up. It's okay to make my own voice in front of all those people who are older and more experienced than me. And mm-hmm. these days, I think I feel totally fine. But I think at the beginning, having the courage of doing it, that really took a lot of energy and also courage. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that was really kind of the, the main challenge for me. And still, I hear that feedback sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we you know oftentimes talk about the bamboo ceiling and there's a number of articles about it and people kind of talk about why East Asians uh, don't get up to the leadership level, even though there are a lot more East Asians at the middle management level and and things like that. I think uh, one of the probably reasons is uh, given that kind of culture background, it's hard to kind of overcome and be more aggressive and outspoken about yourself and forming your ideas and kind of expressing that in front of people. It's just, uh, I think, uh, culturally, people probably don't feel as uh, comfortable of doing it. And I think uh, from American corporate culture perspective, that's probably not seen as a kind of leadership skills or the elements that you're supposed to have as, as a leader. So I think things like that, I definitely also, you know, see as like a improvement area for myself, but really kind of a hard to do because uh, I mean, it's kind of deeply rooted as a part of culture. So sometimes I feel like it's kind of against my desire. Yeah, things like that. I think that was probably the hardest part at the beginning. Absolutely. I mean, I can't agree more because of a perception that, yeah, we Indians might face this issue a lot more than any other people. But yeah, you're totally right. When we're growing up, we are in this whole perception that, okay, we are supposed to respect the respect of okay, what the person's age is and what the social status is. All this, There's so many elements that comes into mm-hmm. our mind that gets stuck. And it's very hard while you start working with the Americans to kind of let that go. You mentioned one thing very brilliantly in the starting that you'll have to unlearn a lot of stuff and learn a lot more new things once you move to the United States or get into that corporate culture. 
So that is very important for, I mean, I think my our audiences are going to kind of agree with what you just said about all the other points. So going further from this, I think you've, you've kind of overcome all the hurdles and kind of made a point in your career path that, okay, you know the path to succeed. And now you started an organization. You're an entrepreneur. And though you've had a lot of leadership roles in prior in different companies, what is this all about, Jun? Could you give a quick gist about why did you think of this? Uh, I mean, getting into wannabes or starting up wannabes. What made you think of that particular form? Yeah, absolutely. So to me, I always kind of thought about founding a company. To me, I think a really kind of curiosity and exploring like new things that has been the main driver in, in my career. The reason why I kind of moved around and doing kind of different things and even kind of working for companies in different domains and all that. The main reason was always uh, I was just kind of curious. Like, let me see what this company is doing and what I can learn. It's okay to fail, but at least I'll have that experience. So to me, when I make decisions, I typically don't look at the opportunity costs. So a lot of times I think uh, people kind of evaluate the options based on that. But then the fundamental issue with that perspective is you tend to think about the tangible things to make the assessment. So, for example, like compensation is one, title is another. But when you look at the career in the long run, it's kind of a continuation of a different learning experience. And what you get out of that is actually not straightforward. So you could fail as a founder. But then at some point, the experience could actually lead you to be a successful executive in a bigger corporate. So things like that, I think it's kind of hard to tell, like where the, your experience really leads you to and then what kind of value actually it brings to you. So because of that, I typically try to focus more on the steps I need to take to get to where I want to be. So I hit the point where I thought that I have enough corporate experience, meaning I was at a senior role in a large like public companies. I've done some GM roles in the past. And then the, my previous role was with Silicon Valley private company. So I learned a lot about fast paced work and tech driven culture and, and things like that. So after that, what I kind of realized was uh, I've done quite a lot that really helped me build the different kind of experiences and capabilities from those then what could be the next step for me? And then that's kind of when I realized that given all the kind of curiosity and then the exploration part of the, my career, probably the next step is starting my own business and really building something from zero to one. Maybe that's the next challenge for me. So I kind of vaguely thought about kind of doing my own business, but then didn't know exactly what to do. And then that's kind of when the pandemic hit and I ended up spending a lot of time with my boys because their schools were closed. And then that's also kind of when I got very close to their schoolwork because of their like certain assignments that their schools ask us to do and then submit on a daily basis. So that's kind of when I first realized what they learned and how things are kind of taught in school and, and all of it. That's kind of when I realized that there's a gap in learning, not necessarily because uh, it was uh, someone's fault or systemic issues or anything, but I think just that fundamentally, when we look at the modern education, the main goals so far has been more around the mass education, meaning mm -hmm. we try to make sure that 
there's no child left behind. So everyone has uh, access to that equal education. But because of that, a lot of things are kind of uh, very systemized and standardized. And it doesn't incorporate all the individual differences that every student has. So that part was kind of missing. So when I look at his uh, the score, especially all the worksheets that he had on math and all that, I kind of realized that it wasn't interesting or fun to him. And also he didn't see the meaning or the value of doing it. So we kind of talked about it a lot and then, you know, spent quite a time doing things differently. I kind of gave him like a different like math challenges and all that. And then I kind of realized that, oh, maybe there is a different way of teaching math, especially for the students in elementary school. So my kind of idea started from there. And then I got introduced to my current co-founder who's based in India, then Mm -hmm. also was able to recruit some teachers. So yeah, I mean, that's how I ended up founding WonderBees. This is interesting. I mean, with the whole vision behind, I'd say, why you got into this is really, really interesting because probably code has given an opportunity for all of us to look into all the all the smaller things that are happening around us and figure out the opportunities that are within like our reachable area. So with all the all those things that we discussed, Chun, so what are you trying to achieve over here right now? Because you you know that okay, you're trying to make sure that you mentioned math is something which is really an interesting subject uh, that can be taught in very different ways or very interesting ways for our children. So what is the whole goal behind the Wonder Bees right now? And where are you currently right now with that? Sure. Yeah. So our goal, I would say probably there are like three pillars. So the number one is we want to make uh, learning really fun. It means that a lot of times uh, math content is, it kind of come across as a very like theoretical to kids. And then it's very like memorization driven because of that. So for example, you know, if it's a addition equation that when you see the plus symbol, then this is what you're supposed to do. So students learn things in a way that they know what to, what kind of actions they need to take and then how to do that kind of brain exercise without even knowing reason behind it. So really making fun means uh, how can you kind of turn that into more like a real life problem so that they can relate to that and they can see that there's a reason or the value of learning this. It's not just uh, the theory or something on the book. So that's the number one. And the second is uh, make it really engaging. So mm-hmm. when you look at kind of, of the format of the classroom and then the typical kind of, of learning, especially when it's online learning, so I think it's hard to make it interactive and engaging because you use kind of screen and then all the kind of uh, the animation and then what the kids can do physically and then the activity wise is quite limited. So what we are trying to do is uh, we use uh, the physical tools, the actual counting blocks and number cards and those kind of uh, mm-hmm. the objects that kids can kind of play with during the class in the home so that they can actually really see math as a whole, not just uh, you know something written on the on the paper. Third one we really try to achieve is also make it really challenging. So like I said, mass education, the fundamental, the problem with that was every student is very different in terms of the pace that they need and also where they stand in terms of learning trajectory. And really kind of offering that individualized learning experience is actually really critical to get the full potential out of each of the students. 
So the power over the offering the learning through the digital platform is that you can gather so much data and then automate all that and build personalized learning experience based on all the information that you gather. So essentially, our goal is make it really personalized learning experience so that it's challenging enough so that kids can see that it really push their thinking, not limit their thinking. So those are kind of three elements that we really try to enable through Wonderbees. And then in terms of where we stand, so we launched our trial program for kindergartners through the second graders in September. And then the mainly focus on the U.S. market, but it's open and completely available globally right now. And then last week, starting from the next week, we just announced our expansion. So our program is available up to the fifth grade. Any student from kindergarten all the way to the grade five can try our program and then enjoy the engaging and the challenging the math experience with us. Well, this is awesome. I was just thinking, okay, like there's so many opportunities around math. So the question I had in mind, Jun, is that how, how can actually students or the parents get access to your content? Or is there any application that you've developed? Yeah, so we currently have our website. So they can go to our website, www.wonderbees.com. Is it Z, not S? So W-O-N-D-E-R-B-E-E-Z. Mm-hmm. So if they can, they can go to our website and then sign up for a free class. And then if they like to continue, then from there, they can sign up for the monthly subscription. So I took the SaaS model based on my experience at Curiosity. So mm-hmm. we offer a monthly subscription. And then if the parents are not happy with the curriculum and teacher and all that, then they can cancel any time. So yeah, they can do everything through our website. Awesome. I think there's so many, so many audiences today who will be like wondering, okay, how to get the math right content for the for the kids. And this is going to help help the kids a lot in terms of understanding or how to playfully learn math, because that is one of the most interesting subjects. So if you learn the techniques of to do the math in a more interesting way, I think it's, it's going to help you throughout the life. It's not going to be stopped like what other subjects that we might come across. So this is really interesting, Joanne. Another thing to think about when it comes to math is we talk a lot about what skills are required for the 21st century. And then throughout my work experience, one of the things that really is critical for the the future, the labor and the workforce is uh, critical thinking, being able to understand and rationalize and really have the answer of why. And to me, mathematical concept and the patterns, like being able to recognize the patterns and solving the problems based on that, and then following the rules to come up with a, you know, your own kind of methodology and, and the result, all that is really the foundation of building that. Unfortunately, people don't see it in that way because, you know, still the goal of our education is more about entering good college and getting good scores and things like that. But uh, essentially, our goal is to build that connection, starting from the math, but, uh, you know, really help the kids be future ready and then, Mm -hmm. you know, become well prepared for that uh, 21st century. That's really the long term vision that we have. That is great, Joanne. I think thanks for all the information that you provided. And coming towards the end, so I've got last two questions around, okay, about the whole plans and all this stuff. So out of all those content that you're trying to provide to the the market or the kind of audiences or I'd say the consumers, who can get the best, I'd say, benefits from these courses? 
Right now, a lot of times, students who need more challenges, so the math education they get from public school is not enough, then they come to us because they want more challenging curriculum. So that's definitely, I think, one group of students that we can work with. But the other part is also, we oftentimes hear from parents that their kids struggle with math. And the main reason was because they have the anxiety and that math is not interesting enough for them. So they're kind of forced to memorize and do the exercise without really understanding or knowing what to do about it. And I think this group of students probably will get the most benefit because, uh, again, like I said, our program is designed in a way that we make math really fun and engaging. And then they can learn math in a way that using visuals and playing games. And it's not just about using pencil and paper and then writing about this equation. So we kind of bring in those like different methodologies and then really help students figure out by trying all the different options, what methodology works best for them. So I think that the learning journey, it seems like it's been working really well, especially for those that think that, you know, math is not the right topic for them. So, yeah, I mean, the mainly, I think those are probably the two segments that we, we think would probably the benefit most about our program. But obviously, also, you know, just in general, students who are getting homeschooling, so need a primary program for their math. I think that's probably another the group that could be perfect for us. Awesome. I think so many children who can actually kind of realize the fun of playing around with math right now, unlike what we had earlier in our school days. But this is interesting. So we're coming towards the end. So I'd like to understand the future goals that you have in place. What are the plans you have in pipeline for the for, sort of, for this entity? Yeah. So the I think it's several things. It's a number one is partnering with the school districts, especially mm-hmm. one thing I realized uh, after the pandemic was that there is a huge gap in terms of uh, accessibility. So what it means is that if you live in a school district that have enough funding and all that and the infrastructure and enough staff and all that, then you, know, you probably wouldn't have a much kind of difficulty. Whereas, uh, mm-hmm. you know, schools that don't have enough budget and teachers and all that, then they need a lot more support. And then that could be actually enabled by digital platform and companies like us who provide uh, programs for mm-hmm. their students. So what we would like to do is uh, we want to partner with those uh, school districts that need the extra support, especially for those students that are maybe behind in math or need uh, extra support in math. And yeah, really kind of uh, design our program and then customize it for those students to see the impact. Because uh, I believe that making impact and then doing something to improve the public school system, that gives us a lot more impact than just doing this as an after-school program. So that's really kind of uh, the one area that we would like to expand. So that's the number one. And then the second one is uh, expanding to other subjects. I think math is one of the fundamental skill sets that the students need to have. But also there are kind of other soft skill sets that are even more important these days. Things like uh, communication skills, the leadership, being able to digest and understand the information in the media. I mean, it goes kind of on and on. Yeah. So given that, we also want to expand to include the programs like a debate program to really kind of, you know, help kids develop their communication skills. That's kind of one area that we are looking at for expansion right now. 
And then the third one is around the mobile app development. So right now we have a website available. What we realize is that you know mobile app should be something that's easily accessible. Especially, you know, these days that people don't really check emails on their laptop, but they just want to go to the smartphone and then, you know, check, do everything on app. So in order for us to really provide a frictionless user experience, we think that having our own app is uh, fundamental. So that's, uh, you know, still kind of the long-term plan. We probably have like a more, more like a five to six months to go, but essentially yeah, building our own app is uh, another kind of a milestone that we are thinking. Awesome. This is brilliant, June. I think I'd, I'd, I'd wish you all the best. I wish you and the whole team at Wonderbees all the best for all the future endeavors and the current goals that you've set for FI22 probably. And I look forward to kind of using this for my knees as well in the coming days. <laughs> I'll definitely ask, <laughs> make a sign up for this and let's see how the whole experience is going to be. I'll be open to the feedbacks and stuff. So, <laughs> Thank you. I want to ask, what are the ending thoughts of anything that you want to talk about Wonderbees finally? Yeah, sure. So one thing is, uh, I think after the pandemic, a lot of learning experience has shifted to the virtual. But I think it, it kind of a, has pros and cons. I think it, now people are more used to joining class online. But then also there's kind of this perception that the online learning is not good enough. It's not as good as offline in-class learning. That's really kind of a where we try to prove that Wonderbees is different by introducing kind of physical tools and games, even teacher being able to see the kids writing and then ask mm-hmm. them to like write math equations and all that on the paper during class. So what I can really kind of say is our program is a different in a way that we really try to use all the different approaches to make it offline-like experience. So that's uh, the one thing I can certainly stress about uh, what Wonderbeats offers. Awesome. Thank you so much, Yuen. So we normally ask all our guests a couple of questions around the resources and all the other stuff. So the book or blog or website that you suggest our people can follow. Yeah. So there are a lot of uh, books about entrepreneurship and founding company and all that. What I found actually really fascinating is classic. So the, the innovation and entrepreneurship by Peter Drucker. <laughs> so he wrote quite a lot of uh, different business books. And this one was written in 1985. So it's really old, almost like 30 years old. <laughs> but then fundamentals that he wrote about the innovation, it just still resonates a lot. And it really kind of touches up on all the fundamentals. One example is, uh, you know, it says innovation is not about taking a risk. It needs to be systematic and then purposeful. So it needs to have the system and the purpose. And then you need to kind of build a framework around that. And then taking a risk doesn't necessarily mean that your idea is innovative. Things like that. I think at the time, even kind of a definition of innovation was probably not like well-defined and probably very like nascent to a lot of people. So I think that this is a really the first book that really talked about innovation and I was just kind of fascinated because, uh, you know, even kind of that notion of entrepreneurship was not well known. So like for him to be able to kind of write the book about it, I learned a lot of kind of different like framework and then the questions you are supposed to ask to really kind of validate your ideas and, and things like that. So you are a founder or, or trying to kind of, uh, you know, build something based on your idea and then want to validate whether it's innovative enough or not, I highly recommend this book. 
Perfect. Thank you so much, Sajjuran. Moving to the next question. So, who are the people in your connections, probably in your career connections, that you recommend we bring them on the show? Yeah, I mean, so uh, throughout my journey, there are quite a lot of people who have helped me and also mentored me. Yeah, I want to kind of recommend two people from from there. So, the one is uh, Lorenzo Montesi. So, he's uh, currently CFO of uh, Cockroach Lab. So, Cockroach Lab is a cloud company. I think that they, I believe they're in the C's E or F right now. Uh-huh. We work together at Korea City. His story also could be inspiring. And also he has a lot of wisdom and then things to share relate to the B2B sales and marketing. So I highly recommend him. Mm-hmm. And then the other person is Audrey Zhao. She's also a CFO in the Cloud Bees right now. Mm-hmm. You know, just like me, she's also originally from China and then the immigrant in the U.S. She managed to climb up the corporate ladder all the way to the yeah. CFO the position. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, really amazing how much she she managed to kind of achieve. So I'm sure her story also would be very inspiring for others. Brilliant. Yeah, we'll definitely try to get in touch with them and try mm-hmm. to see if they can come on the show and share their, their thoughts as well. Coming towards the last question. So we know that there's so many audiences who would like to get in touch with you to understand your stories and all this stuff. So how do you suggest people can connect with you? They can reach out to me over LinkedIn. I'm sure it's easy to find me. My first name and the last name. There aren't that many people that would come up. (laughs) And then I'm open to uh, connecting with people on LinkedIn so they can add me to their network or send me a message. So yeah, feel free to do that. Definitely, John. I think it, it was an amazing time conversing with you today. And thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all your thoughts and experiences. Have a great day and talk to you soon. Take care. Yeah. I mean, thanks for inviting me. And uh, I also had a great time. So, yeah, this is awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.